Romans 8, 1 to 4. And before we do look at this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that from heaven you would send down a blessing on your people as your word is read and preached. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would stand as the prophet, priest, and king of your church, and that as the great prophet, as the eternal son of God, come in the flesh to declare your father to us, you would make known to us the mystery of your will this morning, and that we would hear your voice, and that we would live You have said, Lord Jesus, that the time is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and live. And so we pray that you would cause everyone in this room to hear your voice this morning and to come forth in spiritual life. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be honored in the way that your word is proclaimed and heard and kept. We pray, Father, that you would send the Holy Spirit, that we would even know his felt presence in times of refreshing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, it's always a dangerous thing to ask someone the following question, what do you think are the sweetest words in all the Bible? Because that question could be answered uh, hundreds of different ways. There are those portions of scripture that are more powerful in the way that God is revealing what he's done in Christ. There are those words that come home to us with such with such grace and power and sweetness that we're filled with joy and we we marvel that God could say such things to sinners like us. And I think, as I think through the scriptures about those words, some of those words for me are the seven words that Jesus spoke on the cross. A few months ago, Anna and I started teaching our sons the seven sayings, the seven words of the cross. Jesus' first word, of course, was, Father, forgive them. And then he said, Woman, behold your son, and, and behold your mother. And then he said, Today you will be with me In paradise, and then he cried out in dereliction, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, of course, going through that forsakenness, he cried out, I thirst. And then those two final words, It is finished. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And there are almost no greater words than the words that Jesus Christ uttered on the cross, except I would argue that if you put all of those words together in the resurrection, there is one final word that Jesus proclaims, and it is no condemnation. That is the word of the resurrection. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And these words here in Romans 8 one are, are some of the words that we need to hear on a daily basis if we're believers. They're words we need to hear if we're not believers. They're words we need to 
believe and turn to Christ over. But these are words that we need on a daily basis because our souls are often weighed down with guilt. We know the power and corruption of sin. We know what we are. We cry out with Paul and notice that I wish I could take away the chapter divisions. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said that oftentimes the chapter divisions are like a man took an axe and he's just going and chopping things up and that he should have never chopped the axe right here because these words, interestingly, are attached to what we just went through where Paul cried out in Romans 7, knowing his own indwelling sin, O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And notice Paul's, notice his, his conclusion there in 7. He says, with my mind, my, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin, I have this war. And then Paul says, no condemnation for those in Christ. That's why those words are some of the sweetest words in the Bible. I have this war going on. And it's not going to be dealt with until Jesus comes again, that irreconcilable war. And yet the same apostle in the next breath says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Interesting, if you had a Greek text, you would notice that the first word is not there, neither is it is, nor is it therefore, nor is it now. But in Greek, the first word is no. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This morning we want to see three things as we look at this unbelievably comforting passage for believers. We want to see first the declaration of no condemnation. Secondly, the explanation of that declaration. And finally, the evidence of the declaration. We'll notice that as I've noted, Paul has already tied this together. He has been dealing with the doctrine of sanctification and And that comes on the heels of him talking about how we're justified, how we're justified by faith alone and Christ alone, that the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us. And so from Romans 3.21 to 7.25, the Apostle Paul has been setting out how you are accepted in Jesus by faith alone. If you're in Christ, you are as righteous as Jesus by imputation. And yet... The power of sin has been broken too and you're being transformed and you find this war going on even though the power of sin has been broken. He's been pastorally talking about the realities of the Christian life and everything that we have through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He has set all of it out and now he comes in chapter 8 and before he talks about the victory in the spirit, it's as if Paul wants to just sum everything up in this declaration And what Paul would say to us this morning, what the Holy Spirit would say is, if you're in Christ, that's the great qualifier, if you're in Christ by faith, there is now no condemnation. There is now no condemnation. John Piper gives a great illustration. He said, if you could imagine um, a child and and his father comes home with a present and it says, Um, open on your birthday and a week before he sets that down before the child and every day the child's seeing open on your birthday open on your birthday and then the birthday comes and and the dad is like now open your present and Paul is saying if you're in Christ now there is no condemnation now not then on judgment day that's that's when it's going to matter the most but now if you're in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation that means that there is not one sin in you, if you're in Christ, there's not one sin in you that you could ever possibly be condemned for. 
That's the gospel. The declaration when Jesus rises from the dead is that every sin has been atoned for. The resurrection says to you, God the Father has accepted the sacrifice of Christ. He has laid all of the sins of all of his people on the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he steps out of that tomb, God is proclaiming like a trumpet blast, no condemnation. I'm going to say this this morning. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that every day of my life. Because if you are a true believer, you know that battle with sin. You know what it is to start to feel the guilt of sin. You know that you haven't lived like you're supposed to live. You know that every day you fail. Every day you use your tongue, you use your mind, you use your body for unrighteous things every single day of your life. And if you're a believer, that grieves your spirit tremendously. And so God comes and he says, listen, my son or my daughter, if you are in Christ, There is no condemnation. I love the way the prophets, they reach for illustrations to explain this. And it's as if they they have to ransack the universe to find these illustrations. And I love how Isaiah, who's, I'd love to meet Isaiah. Isaiah had these great, these great imageries to help that he's blotted out like a thick cloud our sins, that He's cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. That he has put our sins behind his back. That there is no condemnation. You know, it's marvelous. Jesus says in John chapter 5, turn there. Turn to John chapter 5 this morning. Um, because if, if we're going to grow as believers, we have to get this. It's funny, while you're turning there, I'll say this. Every unbeliever I know says to Christians, no condemnation from you. Don't give me any condemnation. And yet believers have a hard time believing God saying there is no condemnation for you. Isn't that ironic? Unbelievers tell Christians, don't you dare condemn me. And believers have a hard time receiving from God, I don't condemn you. And notice in John 5, this is is so sweet. Notice this, that Jesus is... Talking in verse, um, in verse um, 21, as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son, and that means worship as God, so don't take that as like, I really think Jesus is great. It means falling down and worshiping him. That's what honoring the son means, giving him the honor due his name. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, here it is, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus says, if you hear his word, if you honor the Father's testimony about who he is, if you believe that he died for you and rose again, you presently have everlasting life and you do not come into judgment and you have already passed from death to life. 
And that's what the Apostle Paul's saying here in Romans 8. He's saying, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, the most spiritually mature Christians I know, the ones who I look up to and wish I was more like him, my best friend Stephen is, is one such, they get this the best. And the Christians, or professing Christians, who are least enjoyable to be around don't get this at all. Isn't that interesting? Believing there is now no condemnation makes you spiritually fruitful because you realize that what Jesus has done is so large and so great and so final and so perfect and so all-encompassing that everything you needed was done in his death and resurrection and that you are free. Notice what Paul says. Paul says in verse 2, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. A man or a woman, a boy or a girl that knows that they're free in Christ really knows that, not deceiving themselves into thinking they are, but really knows that they're free in Christ are the most fruitful people on the face of the earth because they, they give all honor and glory to the Savior. They are honoring the Lord Jesus for what he did. Notice that Paul does qualify it in the declaration. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He will actually go down. Notice verse 9. He says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. But then notice anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, so everybody is either in Christ or not in Christ. Everybody is either in union with Jesus or in union with Adam. Paul's told us that in Romans 5. That means everybody in this room is united to one of those two. If you are in Christ, that declaration, no condemnation, is pronounced from the tomb of Jesus to your believing ears this morning. And if you're not in Christ, you need that declaration more than anything because you will be held guilty for every single sin that you have ever committed if you are not in Christ. On Judgment Day, it will be now condemnation if you are not in Christ Jesus. But Paul says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I think it's interesting that in a book in which Paul is so focused on the idea of justification, we have to ask the question, secondly, how, does he, how do we explain that there's no condemnation? Because anybody could just say you're fine. Anybody could say, you know, there's this great account in the Gospels where Jesus, uh, the man is let down through the ceiling. His friends bring the paralytic down and they let him down in front of Jesus. And, and, um, and uh, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven you. He makes that declaration. And I think it's some of the Pharisees are there and they say, this man blasphemes. Who can forgive sins but God? And he, he turns to them and he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. And that man took up his bed and he walked. And Jesus proved that the declaration he made, your sins are forgiven you, no condemnation, had power behind it. Now, how does it work? Secondly, the explanation, Paul sort of sets it out here in verse 2 when he says, the law of the spirit of life 
has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, what Paul has been most concerned about is us getting that there is nothing we can do to contribute to our salvation. So the law says work. God says do, obey perfectly. Here's the commandments. And anybody who tries to do that is under condemnation because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Paul's been driving home that the law cannot justify, that all that the law does is show us our sin. In chapter 7, he says it arouses sin in us. It makes us want to sin in our natural state, that it brings condemnation. It directs and it instructs. It's spiritual, but it doesn't change. And it can't, it can't make you a better person. And notice what Paul says, though, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, this is tricky. What does he mean, the law of the spirit of life? Well, I think by law, it's a play on words, and Paul's saying that it's the principle, the principle of the spirit of life indwelling you, you being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And notice what Paul does in chapter 8 later on. Notice verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously also give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elected? Is God who justifies. Now listen. Who is to condemn? You see Paul picking that back up from verse 1. No condemnation. Who's going to condemn? Will the guilt of your sin condemn you? Will the corruption of your sin condemn you? Will the devil condemn you? Will people that don't like you because they don't like that you talk the truth too much and they don't like the truth because they love their sin, will they condemn you? Paul says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is even now interceding for us. So what Paul says is, here's how no condemnation works. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus is even now at the right hand of God interceding for you. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the continual reign of Jesus is how we know there is no condemnation. So if you believe, if you believe that Christ has accomplished all things necessary, if he, he made a full atonement for your sin, he took all of it on himself, his soul was made an offering for sin. If you believe that, if you believe that on the third day, as all the scriptures said, Jesus said the whole Old Testament spoke of his death and resurrection. If you believe that he rose from the dead on the third day, if you believe that he ascended to the Father and he is sitting and interceding for you, if you know that to be true, that declaration comes to you with great power and force. That's how it works. That's how it works. Notice that the Holy Spirit is now in the picture in verse 2. And one of the beautiful things and one of the difficult things in theology is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he ushered in what theologians will call the age of the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit was at work at creation, hovering over the water. The Holy Spirit was at work through the Old Testament in the saints. He was at work. He was there, present. But when Jesus rises from the dead, he rises in the power of the Spirit, and Jesus pours the Holy Spirit out. He comes. The third person of the Godhead comes to his people to indwell them. Because of what Jesus has done, the glorified Christ pours the Spirit out. Notice what Paul says back in chapter 5. Chapter 5. Verse 
Notice verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame because God has poured the Holy Spirit into our hearts who has been given to us. Paul here says that the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death is the principle that's at work in all men by nature. And Jesus rises and he gives you his Holy Spirit and he continually works in you life. I mentioned on Wednesday that picture in Pilgrim's Progress where a uh, Christian comes into the interpreter's house and there's a fire and, it's, and, and somebody's throwing sand on it, but then it's being flamed from the other side and it's getting brighter and brighter. And that's the picture that Romans 7, the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other and the Holy Spirit continues to fuel life in the saint. And even when you have bad days and bad weeks and bad months, the Holy Spirit keeps flaming and fanning and he keeps assuring you because Christ is formed in you the risen Christ indwells his people he he's in us Paul says in this chapter we're in him and the Holy Spirit produces life in the souls of God's people and so as we see that we understand more of the mechanics of of how God can say to us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus now one thing that I've been thinking about over the many months and years recently, recent months and years, is the way that Jesus restores, the way this works psychologically and the way it works sort of in our everyday experience. Um, I think Simon Peter is the great example of this. Simon Peter denies his Lord as the Lord Jesus is going to the cross to atone for Peter's sin. Just outside, he's warming himself by the fire. He's, that's a picture of warming himself around man's approval. And he, and he denies his Lord even with a little slave girl, a little slave. He, he so denies Jesus, and it's a grievous sin. We don't want to downplay that. That would be like your minister being asked to talk about the gospel on television and saying nothing about Jesus. And somebody's saying, well, you preach Jesus, right? And I say, I don't know who that is. It's a grievous sin. And yet, and yet, there was no condemnation for Simon Peter because Jesus Christ paid for that sin on the cross. Now, it's very interesting. In the gospels, Jesus said, he who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. That's a promise. He who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Peter denies him before men, and he's not denied before the Father. What happens? Jesus takes the denial on himself at the cross. And there's this beautiful picture, because before Jesus restores Peter, now he's been broken, he's wept, he's seen his Lord, his Lord looked at him, the rooster crowed, Peter wept, Peter knew how grievous this was, and yet Peter sort of wants to give up. He says, I'm just going to go back to fishing, there's no point. And he's out fishing, in John chapter 20, in the section immediately before Jesus restores Peter with the threefold, do you love me, feed my sheep? Peter and the apostles are fishing, the disciples are fishing, and they haven't caught anything, and Jesus has cast the net over on this side, and they, they can't even pull in how much they've had. And, and John says, it's the Lord. And obviously Jesus is far from them, he's on the land. 
And the Apostle John says, it's the Lord. And, and I want to read to you. Peter is dealing with shame. He's dealing with shame over his sin. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. That doesn't make any sense. If you jump in the water, you don't put clothes on. If you jump in the water, you take clothes off. Listen, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. That's a double entendre. Peter was ashamed. Peter had not yet known that there's no condemnation. He had not yet come to terms with the fact that Jesus had forgiven him of his sin. And he put on his outer garment. John says he was stripped for work. He threw him into the sea. And immediately after that, Jesus restores Peter. And he does it in gentleness. And he does it with love and grace. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. He says, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Grieved, you know I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. Jesus, this is remarkable. Simon Peter commits the sin that he does. Jesus doesn't latch him for six hours. He doesn't put him on six-month six probation under church discipline for six months to make sure he's not going to warm himself with a fire pan. Jesus says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He sends him right out into ministry. And that is a testimony that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ holds out his pierced hands and he says, look, there is no condemnation for in me. If you've fallen, yes, I'll bring you to repentance, I'll restore you, I'll heal you. One of my best friends, I think this is an interesting thought, he says, one, one further proof that Jesus is God and that he's risen from the dead is that he could put together his team after they had had a major meltdown. So, major meltdown, all the disciples forsaken and flee, Peter denies them, everybody leaves, major meltdown, but he can put his team back together, send them out and turn the world upside down to preaching about himself. That's another proof that Jesus is God. This is proof. Jesus takes us in our meltdowns, he takes us in our wrestlings with sin, and he says to us, I have atoned for your sins, I have given you my Holy Spirit, that that principle of the spirit of life is at work in you. There's no condemnation. Now go and be fruitful. Thirdly, finally, the evidence. Because we all know that there are lots of people who profess faith. I have watched this year. I've said this to you, and I've had some very sobering weeks recently, watching one man after another, after another, after another that I've been in ministry with at almost every church I've been at fall into some heinous sin, not repent, and I mean serious sin, not repent, walk away from the faith, walk away from the church, sue the church, take them to civil courts, one after another. We all know the minister of the gospel can do that, all of us, all of you to do that very thing if you're not in Christ Jesus. There has to be fruit in our lives. And notice, notice what the Apostle Paul tells us here in Romans 8. There's evidence, and we're going to get into this more in the weeks ahead, but notice that he says in, in verse 3, he's still unpacking the explanation. God has done what the law, weak in the flesh, couldn't do. 
by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And then notice verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The evidence that you are in Christ and that there is no condemnation, and it's only the evidence. Let me say this this morning. The fact that the spirit is working in you is not the reason for no condemnation. It's the evidence that there's no condemnation. The reason there's no condemnation is because Jesus finished the work of redemption. The evidence that there's no condemnation is that the Holy Spirit is working in you. He is making you want to do those things that are pleasing to God. One of the promises in the New Covenant, God says, I will write my law in their minds and put it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. If you love the Lord, if your thoughts are, I want to obey the Lord, I want to do what's pleasing to Him, I love righteousness, I hate wickedness, I hate how fallen this world is, I long for more of the Holy Spirit, I pray that God would give me more of the Holy Spirit than He would give me a greater measure, that is evidence, that is evidence that you are not under the condemnation of God. That, now let me say this this morning, that has to be there. If that's not there, the declaration of condemnation is not for you until you repent and trust in Jesus Christ. But if you are in Christ and if you love God's law and you love his ways and you love his righteousness and you want to do what is pleasing to him and you want to honor him and you're grieved when you dishonor him and you pray that he would give you a greater measure of the spirit and, and let me remind you of Romans 7 it's not going to be perfect you're going to have that battle, that irreconcilable war, but if your heart's desire, the, the inner you, the new you, is, I long to obey the Lord. I'm grieved when I don't. I need more of the Holy Spirit. Then the word to you this morning, not because of that, but as an evidence, is that you are not under the condemnation of God. There's nothing, there's nothing greater you've ever hear. Not because I've said it, but because God said it. Um, I want to close with this thought. There are many people who never hear what you're hearing. That's why Bill Schweitzer's playing a church in a huge city that doesn't get to hear this. And that means everybody who doesn't hear this, and I know you may not like this, but those who have never heard the gospel are under the condemnation of God. We are all fallen in Adam. And so we are unbelievably blessed to have God say to us this morning, my son and my daughter, I have finished the work of redemption. There is no condemnation. And the greatest way that we can respond is by believing in God. By falling down and honoring the son. By going home and worshiping him. Not running out to just forget about him and do what we want to do. That's the worst thing we could do. That's the surest evidence that you're under the condemnation of God. If we just forget this. Just get on it. Just get out. I want to say that as forcefully as I can this morning. You get to live one life. One life. And the proper response is, Lord Jesus, thank you. Let me worship you. Let me fall down and give you the honor due to your name. I love the hymn. Ah, holy Jesus, how is thou offended? Since I cannot repay you, I will, I will adore you. Since I cannot repay you, 
There's nothing you can do to remove the condemnation. But what the law could not do, and it was weak to the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The righteous requirements of law now might be in us, and there is no condemnation during Christ Jesus. No, I, I would, I could just say from day one over and over, and I could be sermon. Say it over and over and over and over and over. I'm going to encourage you during Christ to meditate on these things. And every day of your life, there is no condemnation for me. No sin in me can condemn me. Because Christ Jesus was condemned for all my sin. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father, we do acknowledge that all that we can contribute to salvation is sin. All we have contributed is corruption. We thank you that what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh you did in Christ by sending him in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin in the flesh and to raise, rise from the dead victorious and to proclaim to us that there is no condemnation. Lord Jesus, Make us to feel the truth of that pardoning declaration. Make us to understand the greatness of your sacrifice. Make us to understand all that we have in you. We pray if there are any here who are unconverted, that today would be the day of salvation. That you would bring them to an end of themselves. That you would cause them to cry out for that mercy and pardon that you extend so freely to sinners like us. If there are any here who are paralyzed by sin, that are in Christ. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would grant that freedom, that you would grant that, that freedom from the guilt and the power of sin, that your pure side and hands would be of sin, the double cure. Lord Jesus, we worship you, we bless you, we pray these things in your name. Amen.